0: Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. This is Squirrel here from the future. We're continuing an interview that got so interesting we went on for quite a long time. This is part two. I think we've got more parts coming. The interview is with Chris Clearfield, co-author of Meltdown, Why Our Systems Fail and What We Can Do About It. And we're picking up, as we're talking about a predecessor of this book, Normal Accidents by Charles Perrow, And we're going to be talking about how we got to the modern version, which is Meltdown. Here we go, back to the interview one of the things that certainly is noticeable about Perro when you read him now is that he doesn't talk about social media and he doesn't talk about, um, uh, database failures. And, right. um, you know, there's, uh, <laughs> there's a tiny, you know, when he's talking about computers, it's computers in the Apollo guidance system and, and stuff like that, um, that, uh, you know, have maybe, uh, 400, uh, bits of, uh, of memory or something, 400 bytes or something of, of memory. So he's, he's in a very different world in 1984 and And one of the things I certainly found really useful in in meltdown was um getting kind of an updated version what what had changed so what what did, do you see that's changed since then? is it got worse is it got better is technology helping us not helping us what's what's your view on the complexity and coupling that, that technology brings or or helps us manage
1: well yeah there there is the nut and um and uh, you know one of the things we we got to do that felt like a real privilege was we sat down and spent two days with perot um at Yale, just kind of interviewing him and talking with him about these ideas and and I mean he's super sharp still it was a really fantastic um experience one of those kind of like delightful experiences that came out of writing the book and you know I think Perot was spot on when he wrote the book and that um his kind of framework i think is really enduring i think what has changed is that there are so many more systems now that are complex and tightly coupled than there were when he wrote the book you're you're exactly right squirrel it was like you know space exploration and nuclear power and like chemical refining were the sort of three sort of big systems and and now what we see is that um technology enables Tremendous amount of efficiency, tremendous, you know, work that never could have been done before, but
0: it increases complexity and, and tight coupling. And you would never think um, like showing your photos to somebody would be a source of tremendous complexity that would influence the election. But totally, it, it, turns, exactly. it turns out it does. <laughs> who, who knew? Yes, Unexpected exactly. Unexpected consequence.
1: Well, and and I think that that's one of the, you know, a as a, as a policy kind of on the bigger level um we wrote about this in the context of twitter in the context of um you know a, a sort of the content of the discussion do- doesn't really matter it happened to be a a question about sort of free speech on a college campus um but what was really interesting is this went from an issue that um had it happened 20 years ago you know maybe would have been covered by the student newspaper and you know it was yale so might have gotten picked up by by national media but really would have been a story that kind of arose and then and then you know did not have much impact and in this case it um there was a video that somebody shot that was up on twitter and i mean it just exploded right it became it sort of gave the world a front row seat on this discussion about free speech at yale and the kind of responsibility of students and it was sort of right in the middle of um, different aspects of the kind of emerging Black Lives Matter movement, and for for me, what was fascinating about it was was just that it, it it was this complexity and this tight coupling. Once this was out in the world and being connected, there was no way to pull it back, and it really just exploded. Um, you know, the, John Ronson, uh, the author, has a book about internet shame and and um, you know people that have taken photos that they thought of as innocuous you know, get death threats and lose their jobs because of it. And, and that's totally fascinating. So that's one aspect of, I think, the way that complexity um, kind of ties in. Uh, but the, the other thing is, um, hold on, I lost my train of thought. Too complex. I'm sure it'll come back to me.
0: That's okay. Don't worry. Well, it's fascinating what you're what you're telling us about. When when you say Twitter, one of the entertaining things I was observing was uh, Twitter was down yesterday. I don't know if you know that, um, but as we're recording this, this is the the, the day after the the great july 2019 twitter outage um <laughs> and um the the amount of um systems and other the, the really interesting thing for me to watch on on hacker news which i read a lot was how many other things were dependent on twitter and um right. Right, there was one person who was saying gee i was really wondering you know when is twitter going to be back up and so i went to check twitter and no that's not going to work because his default was if the system is down go check twitter somebody will be tweeting about what's going wrong with it he he couldn't do that so we've we've created these systems that are very tightly coupled in ways that we don't even think about so much so that when we want to when they fail we we continue to try to use them um so i, I just think that's a, a an interesting observation based on the um on the tight coupling
1: yeah totally. and and I think that you know that 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 triggered my my lost thread um or, good. Uh, my my train of thought was was rediscovered um which is that there is this whole bigger level on which especially i think particularly in in the tech space where this question operates, which is you know a company like Facebook. so um you know we've got the the Cambridge analytica you know meddling in the u s election. We've got this sort of rise of extremism and and hate speech and you know, one of the things that that is sort of for a while, I think he stepped back from this a little bit, but for a while has been a consistent message from Mark Zuckerberg is that sort of like, no, 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 that's not the point of our platform. The point of our platform is to connect people and connecting people is good. And <laughs> and it's like, well, like your platform is very complex. There is a huge amount of technological and social complexity embedded in this. So regardless of what you think the point of the platform is, the the kind of real commitment of the platform is to be a space for people to do these things. And and that kind of divergence of intent and outcome, that is an, another hallmark of complexity. That's another way I kind of think about if something is complex is like, if you decide you want to do something like what we were talking about before, you write a procedure that says don't make mistakes. If there is divergence between the outcome and what you wanted, then you're you're kind of almost de facto operating in a complex system. And, and I think that that is the other way in which um, even if you're not talking about things like databases going down, you're talking about this whole um, ecosystem that is rooted on, kind of grounded in complexity.
2: And the phrase that I would often use for for what you're describing is emergent behavior, and yes, that, that you you get this emergent behavior that wasn't intended. And I, I laughed when you described the, uh, Zuckerberg saying, "Our you know our our point here is to connect people," but of course when you start connecting everyone now, you have that kind of um, uh, you know, you, you make a, a move over on on one area, and it it's it, it spreads out like through a web, and and everything vibrates, <laughs> and and uh, totally. and then you get this immersion behavior from the whole system, that you know was never designed into it.
0: When yes, I, I imagine and, you know this. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, go. No, I was
1: gonna I was gonna say, and I, I think the you know the other aspect of that is that. Um, people are not uniformly interested in connecting on Facebook, right? And they are not uniformly interested in connecting. So even if you believe that in the real world that, you know, having additional social connections and social capital is good, which I think many of us do, um, you know, there you can create these niches on the platform where people who, uh, you know, have what we might think of as an, an asocial view around, say, extremism or something like that, are actually more likely to connect, and there is a greater network effect for those folks than there is for people that, um, you know, just the, the kind of bad that they can do is is greater than the good of connecting hundreds of, you know, classes of 1997 from high school or whatever it is.
0: It makes sense. And it, it, I know you probably know this story much better than we do, but the the one, and I have to emphasize to everybody, the, the number of... Uh, uh stories in this book is fantastic i just enjoyed reading all the different stories of accident it sounds sounds awful and sort of vampiric but uh, um i really like reading about things that went wrong so we can learn from them one of the stories is about if i remember it right that there's some significant emergent behavior in the night capital story where um they're they're trying to fix the problem and um in fixing the problem they make it worse yes uh, is is that right could you tell us a bit about how that happened
1: yes So I actually, yes, I I can, and and I actually do sort of a seminar for technology companies um, just about this Knight Capital story, because there are so many different elements of it. There is elements of tech debt, there's elements of like not good DevOps practices, Um, and then there's this element of the emergent behavior of the kind of troubleshooting. Um, So I'll start at the kind of very high level, and then we can can dive into that. the, the very high level is that Knight Capital was a technology firm that used technology to trade stocks, essentially. So they were a major player in the U.S. stock market. Not a lot of people have heard of them, um, but they introduced a. Uh, it's, to say it's a bug is not even really right. They introduced they they ended up putting their system into a state where they were sort of running essentially an infinite loop of sending orders to the stock market, and and they did not realize this or or understand it, and so the sort of the headline shock is that they lost half a billion dollars in half an hour, um, which is a lot, even for a wall street (laughs) firm. Um, there are a lot of aspects of it, but one aspect is exactly this, that they, um, they had put their system in such a state, um, because, because of human error, because somebody did not roll out the new version of their trading system software on one of their eight servers. They, uh, sort of realized that there was some kind of problem, but they they didn't pull, you know, they didn't pull the end on cord. They didn't say, okay, we're just going to kind of shut this whole thing down and try to figure it out. There are, you know, they have production pressures, right? They are, they They had kind of a regulatory requirement to keep their system up and running. But I think you can argue that, pulling the cord was the right thing to do you know but again that's in retrospect um, they didn't for whatever reason they didn't pull the cord um, instead what they did was they sort of started troubleshooting the system on the fly and one of the things they did was they rolled back this change on on the seven servers that they had actually successfully deployed this new version of their software on but in fact it was version of the software and the new version of their kind of routing protocols that that was actually the problem in the first place so it was exactly that condition that created this infinite loop so they they kind of went from you know having an eighth of their infrastructure in this sort of damaged very dangerous state to having a hundred percent of their infrastructure in this damaged and dangerous state and you know to make matters worse they didn't have good monitoring um their logs were sort of as as data accumulated, their logs themselves started to lag, so they really didn't have any visibility into what was going on. Um, and eventually, after about forty five minutes, they they figured it out, but by that point, they had they had really lost that that that
0: tidy sum of half a billion dollars. Amazing. So that's that's the cost of of not having good DevOps procedures, and more broadly, uh, having a complex system. Whose behavior is emergent and and which you can't control when it's um uh, when it's running exactly yep that's exactly it and you know it's um
1: it's a it's an extreme version of the story but i i think that there are um you know there are ways when where even the kind of smaller daily cost of not having a good devops setup is is the kind of cumulative cost um can really be draining on on a firm, too. and and the kind of the cost of not learning means that you have teams that they're becoming stale. You know your your organization isn't going to be able to thrive in in the environment you need it to. And um, it's a real shame from just the perspective of the world where you really want, people to be learning and you want people to be able to reach their
2: potential. Uh, I'd like to build off for people some some hope <laughs> because so far what we're describing is is um, on the one hand, uh, we, we can say, oh, there's these problems of, of complex coupled systems, but at the same time, the sort of economics uh, that drive people to create those, so like the, the the same systems with all their comp- interdependency and complexity, the fact that, we, you know, we can go build on Amazon and they can take care of our servers for us, now means that we're coupled to Amazon <laughs> and or Spotify or Facebook or any other number of systems. And then, you know, we're, we're gonna, uh, once if we have a system that's successful, well, we wanna leverage that and build off of it. So over time, as we're successful, We're going to have a tendency to start building uh, more complicated systems as we try to reuse things, as we try to build off of them, leverage what we've done before, which all sounds very good, you know, lowers our time to market, allows us to to build more complex things for our users who are happier and happier.
0: Why should I build authentication? Um, Google's already done it. I'll just run off Google's authentication.
2: Oh, wait, Google is down. <laughs> That's right. So it, there's a sort of these pressures that lead us down the path of uh, more coupled systems and more complex systems to to achieve higher value in shorter time. What do we do about this?
1: Yeah, that, I mean, and, and I think that is the nut of it, right? Because we are not, you know, Andras and I, my co-author and I, we are not Luddites, right? We don't think that, you know, the right thing is for everybody to write authentication you know in C from the ground up every time they're they're you know they're starting a new project, right. Um, I think that the key is though that we've got to manage these systems in a different way. We've got to approach this stuff in a different way and that in this kind of paradox of progress is that the you know complexity gives us great capabilities, but it also increases these these kind of challenges. I think in particular, the Google Cloud, AWS, Azure, those are sort of really interesting examples, because I would say that by and large, um, those places do probably a better job than the average place of thinking about uptime and having great, you know, reliability agreements um, and things like that, because that is so much their focus. And so, you know, I, I think that there is there is the kind of converse of the view that, well, if Google is down, I can't authenticate. It's like, well, that's true, but how do you think that your ability really stacks up against <laughs> Google's when it comes to this? Um, and I think being able to be kind of humble as an organization and and you know try to play in that space where you really do have the competitive advantage, I think is one of the real benefits of the kind of ecosystem that we see today. Now... That said, I think that the the complexity element is really an interesting aspect of it, because what we do see is we see that um, we've now suddenly created all of these different independent sources of failure, and if we don't architect our systems correctly, which... I'll get back to that point in a second. If we don't architect our systems correctly, we may have instead of, you know, creating 10 independent interdependencies, um we may have created 10 interdependencies any one of which can bring our whole stack down. And so I think the key is to try to sort of as we architect things to sort of segment things in a way that means that we are we are kind of always building for the unhappy path or for the not happy path so that you know, if something doesn't work, we're always planning on what the what the kind of good failure looks like in that instance. Ideally, degrading rather than just going
2: down. That's an extremely unnatural act. I think in a lot of organizations, a lot of development teams. In fact, they, you know the. Uh, I've I've often said uh, engineers, software developers get a very bad rap for being bad at estimating. In my experience, they're very very good at estimating. However, just not clear on what it is they're estimating, and what they're estimating typically is the happy path. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so and it's it's that it's a, and that's and that's where people start because they start with a sort of positive mindset. How am I going to make this work? Yes, and and they think of the of that case. How do I make this work? And it's just not. The normal way to think about how it might fail, and to the extent that we did have a large professional class of people who thought that way, which were software testers, right we 've largely eliminated them from the industry
1: yeah that, and that's i, I mean w- w- I, you know so you, you sort of preface this part of the discussion by saying um, these these kind of systems give us a lot of capabilities and You know, the book was really a uh, fun thing to dive into and to write because even though we're talking about failures here, what we're really talking about is all the ways that you can build capabilities in your teams for them to thrive. And I think that one of the, the chapters, we talk about a bunch of different tools that are like little cognitive hacks that you can use to help reorient yourself to kind of taking a broader view and and doing a better job as a team, as a group of kind of catching these things before they become problems. And one of my favorite tools is um, the pre-mortem.
0: Squirrel from the future, cutting in here. We've got more interview to come, but not enough time on today's podcast. So we'll be continuing next time, and we'll pick up with that very interesting idea of a pre-mortem. As usual, we really like it when you click the subscribe button in your app of choice and you're able to hear us every Wednesday when we come around with the next version of Troubleshooting Agile, in this case, the next episode of this interview with Chris Clearfield, co-author of Meltdown. You can get in touch with us at troubleshootingagile.com where you will find email and Twitter and anything else we're using these days. And soon you'll find information about our forthcoming book, Agile Conversations from IT Revolution Press. So get in touch with us if you have some stories about your own meltdowns. We'll be back next week.